Good morning and welcome again. We're very grateful for your presence. It's a beautiful day and we're thankful for the opportunity to be together as God's people. We're going to be looking in just a minute at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 through 10, as we think about if heaven is our home. I would hope and pray that all of us are making plans to one day be in heaven. We talk about heaven, we sing about heaven, we pray about heaven, we think about heaven, but are we really making plans to one day go to heaven? I would hope so. As we think about what the Bible has to say about our heavenly home, there are some great incentives for living the Christian life. I can think of any number of reasons why we ought to want to be a Christian. It is the greatest life known to man. And yet, of all of the blessings that we enjoy in Christ, the pinnacle of those blessings is to know that one day we can be in that heavenly city that is described for us by the Lord. I want us to look today at 2 Corinthians chapter 5 as we think about if heaven is our home. And if heaven is our home, there are some things that maybe we ought to consider. Number one, I would suggest that if heaven is our home, then we ought to be looking for heaven. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 at verse 1, Paul, in a very succinct way, assures us of heaven. Listen to what he said. For we know that if our earthly house, this tent, that is, this physical body, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. How did Paul know about heaven? How do we know about heaven? The answer is revelation. God has told us about this heavenly home. And Paul here is writing to the church at Corinth and he is saying in a very concise way, for we know when this body, this physical tent, gives way to death, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands. And he said it's eternal in the heavens. In Revelation chapter 21, in a very extensive way, John writes about the beauty of heaven. And John assures us of this heavenly home. He said, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no more sea. He said, then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. In verse five of that same chapter, he said, behold, I make all things new. And then he said, right, for these words are true and faithful. 
What God has said about heaven is true. We don't have to doubt it. We don't have to wonder about it. But we know that God cannot lie. And what God has said through Scripture, His revelation, is true. And then there is the reality of heaven. Listen again to what Paul said. For we know that if our earthly house, this tent is destroyed, we have a building from God. Paul here is saying we know that there is a place called heaven. When I think about the reality of heaven, I'm reminded of the words of Jesus in John chapter 14. In the preceding chapter, Jesus had discussed with the apostles the fact that he would be leaving them. And he said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. But I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Peter in 2 Peter chapter 3 at verse 13 would say, Nevertheless, we according to his promise look for a new heaven and a new earth wherein dwells righteousness. Read sometime Revelation chapter 21 and the first few verses of chapter 22 and there you will see the beauty of this place that's called heaven. It's a real city. It's a real place. Just as much as Olive Branch, Mississippi is to us. And then I think about the anticipation of heaven. We talk about looking for heaven. It was said of Abraham in Hebrews chapter 11 at verse 10 that he looked for a city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. That word looked means to look for, to expect, to wait for, to await. Abraham, through the eye of faith, was looking forward to that heavenly home. And I think that's the idea that ought to resonate with those of us who belong to the family of God. We ought to be looking for that place called heaven. We ought to anticipate it. We ought to be waiting for it. We ought to be expecting it. And then there is the architect of heaven. There are a lot of beautiful places on planet earth. We know that the Lord is the one that has made the world and all things therein. And as members of the human family, we have built lots of beautiful places, lots of beautiful dwelling places here on planet earth. There are some marvelous buildings and structures that have been built or erected by individuals that make up the human family. But when we talk about this place called heaven, well, the Bible says God is the architect of that heavenly home. Listen again to what Paul said. We know that if our earthly house, this tent is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Do you remember what the Hebrew writer said about Abraham? That he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder 
and maker is God? What the writer there is stressing is that God is the architect. He is the framer, the craftsman, the builder of this heavenly city. Jesus said in John 14, I go to prepare a place for you. The Lord is the one that is building or framing heaven for us. There's a second thing I want you to see in verses 2 through 8 of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And that is the fact that we should be longing for heaven. In order for us to appreciate this concept, I want to read for you verses 2 through 8. Listen, if you would, to what Paul said. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our habitation which is from heaven. If indeed, having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we who are in this tent groan, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed, that mortality may be swallowed up by life. Now he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who also has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. Therefore we are always confident, knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith and not by sight. We are confident, yes, well pleased, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. It's interesting to me that Paul would talk about heaven and say that we earnestly desire this place. And that really, I think, harmonizes with what he would say to the church at Philippi. In Philippians chapter 1 at verse 21, Paul would say, For to me to live is Christ. But he said, To die is gain. In verse 23, he said, To depart and be with Christ is far better. Paul had an earnest desire, a longing, if you please, to be in the presence of God and to one day be in that beautiful place that we call heaven. If heaven is our ultimate desire, if it is the longing of our heart, then that being the case, we're a blessed people. But I want to ask this question. Why should we long for heaven? Why should we earnestly desire this beautiful city that the Bible talks about so often. Let me just give you five reasons why I believe we ought to long for heaven. Number one, because our citizenship is said to be in heaven. In Philippians chapter three at verse 20, Paul said, for our citizenship, our commonwealth is in heaven. Whence also we wait for a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. I understand that we are citizens of the U.S. And we're blessed to be citizens in this great country. But the Bible talks about how as members of the human family, we are pilgrims. Sometimes, sometimes the writers of the New Testament will talk about how we are strangers or sojourners here on planet Earth. And the idea is that Earth, as we know it, is not our final destination, but rather our citizenship, 
home, if you please. It's in heaven. That's ultimately what we desire, to be in the presence of God, to be in this heavenly city. It may be the case that there are some folks in our world today, they really don't long for heaven because in many respects, they have what they would call heaven on earth. And yet, we know that this life will ultimately end in death. Say what you want to say, but this earth is not our home. It's not our final destination. Every day that we live, we draw one step closer to that heavenly home. And then there's a second reason why we ought to long for heaven, and that's because the church will be there. In Revelation chapter 19 at verse 7, John said, the bride has made herself ready. The bride of Christ, that's the church. One day Christ is coming for his church. The Bible says that Christ is the savior of the body or the savior of the church in Ephesians 5.23. To know that one day we will all be together in that heavenly city. There are a lot of people that I've had the privilege and opportunity of knowing and loving down through the years. There, there are some people that have been a great blessing to my life. There are some folks in this world that I truly miss because they've gone on. But I know that as a redeemed child of God, we'll meet again. When we stand at the side of an open grave, we understand Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Furthermore, we understand that one day the Lord is coming again. As John said in Revelation chapter 1, verse 18, Jesus has the keys to the cemetery. And one day, every faithful child of God, going all the way back to Adam, will be in that heavenly city. And we're going to be there. And so, uh, that's another reason why we ought to long for heaven. A third reason is because Christ and the Father will be there. John said in Revelation chapter 22 that the temple of God and the Lamb shall be in that heavenly city. Can you imagine being in the presence of God? John said in 1 John chapter 3 that we shall see Him as He is. One day faith will give way to sight. We will come face to face with Almighty God. We'll be in the presence of the Lamb forevermore. You talk about, you, you talk about being a blessed people. To know that one day we're going to be with the people of God, the best people on earth. One of the great selling points, I believe, of becoming a child of God is heaven. Another great selling point is you're going to be among the best people in the world. I think some of the finest people in the world are right here in Olive Branch. They make up this church. We're not perfect. But we've got a lot of great people. And to know that we can identify with people of like precious faith and that we can be among people that think like we do, that act like we do, that have the same goals and aspirations that we do, and that one day we'll be together around the throne of God and the Lamb forevermore. And then there's a fourth reason why we ought to long for heaven, 
And that's because we're going to be without the cares of this earth. What do you have here on planet earth? Well, there are a lot of good times. There are a lot of things that I enjoy doing on earth. There are a lot of associations that I have here that are very rich from my perspective. I'm grateful to have a good family. I'm grateful to have many good friends. I'm thankful to have a church family. There are a lot of things that I'm thankful for. But there are some things that day in and day out, they're hard to take. It's hard to take the tears of life. It's hard to take death taking somebody that I love. It's hard to hear about somebody being diagnosed with a cancer or some other type of disease or illness. It's hard to see people struggling with heartaches and trials and tribulations and temptations. But John said in Revelation chapter 21 verse 4 that God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Can you, be, can you imagine being in a place where you will never again shed a tear? When's the last time you cried? When's the last time you tried to comfort someone who wept? Paul said, we are to weep with those that weep. We rejoice with those that rejoice. The hard truth of the matter is this world brings tears to the eyes of many people. John also said, neither shall there be any more death. Thank God we can go to a place where there will be no more cemeteries. I'm tired of going to the cemetery. I'm tired of seeing people that I love and appreciate feel the sting of death. But I know in that heavenly place, death will be no more. John said not only will there be no more death, he said there'll be no more sorrow nor crying. And then he said, neither shall there be any more pain. I want to ask you a question this morning. Does your body ache? Do you hurt? The older we get in this life, the more pain we experience. It just seems like the body is wearing out. Why is that? Because this body is not built to last forever. This body is a temporal tabernacle. That's what Paul is saying in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He said, if this earthly house, this tent, in other words, this physical body, be destroyed, be dissolved, we have a building of God. This body is not going to last forever. This body is not immune to pain and suffering. But one day, John said, these things are going to pass away. He said, neither shall there be any more pain. So, that's another great reason why we ought to long for heaven. We'll be without the cares of earth. And then finally, because our crown will be there. John said in Revelation chapter 2 at verse 10, Be faithful until death and I will give you the crown of life. James said in the long ago, blessed is the man that endures temptation, for when he has been tried, he shall receive the crown of life, 
which the Lord has promised to them that love him. To know that one day we're going to be victorious. That the Lord is going to bestow on us what is called the Stephanos, the victor's crown. And that we can know for all certainty we made it. We are in our heavenly home. And we have been crowned with that Stephanos. There's a third thing I want to share with you this morning. And that is we should be living for heaven. If heaven is our home, we ought to be looking for it, we ought to be longing for it, and finally, we ought to be living so that one day we can enjoy the blessings of heaven. Listen to what Paul said in verse 9. Therefore, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. The goal of every person ought to be to please God. That ought to be our incentive. We ought to try to live the best we can every day. John talks about in 1 John chapter 1, verse 7, walking in the light. The assurance is that if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of his son, Jesus Christ, cleanses us from all sin. Let me just say this. Sometimes it's hard to please our fellow man. But we can please God. We can live in such a way so that we please him. How do we do that? By living by his word, by honoring him. Why do we want to please the Lord? Well, listen to what he says in verse 10. For we, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what we have done, whether good or bad. All Paul is saying here is that one day we're going to stand before the throne of God. We're going to give an account of the deeds that have been done in this body, whether they've been good or bad. And so in light of that fact, our aim ought to be we live a godly life in Christ Jesus. Two things I want to say. Number one, as we consider making it our aim to please the Lord, we must be saved in Christ. If we're going to go to heaven, we've got to be in Christ Jesus. The Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 2 at verse 10 that salvation is in Christ. We are saved by the blood of Christ. John said unto him who loved us and washed us from our sins by his own blood. In Ephesians 1, 7, Paul would say, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. When we obey the gospel, that is when we come to Jesus in simple trusting faith, Believing that he is the Son of God, John 8, 24. Repenting of every sin, just as they did on Pentecost Day, as said by Peter in Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Confessing his name before others, as the eunuch did in Acts 8, verse 37. Being immersed in a watery grave, rising to walk in newness of life, as Paul depicts in Romans 6, 3 and 4. It's at that point we contact the blood of Christ. And we are added to the body of Christ. Now somebody might ask the question, why do we need to be in the body of Christ? Well, the reason is simple, because the saved are in the body. Paul would say in Ephesians 5, 23, he is the savior of the body, and the body is the church. And the church that we are talking about is the church revealed in the Bible. It's the church that Jesus purchased with his blood. So we have to be saved by his blood and saved in his body. The Bible says that those who are being saved were added to the church. 
God's the one that adds us to the church. He places us in that divine body when we're born again, as Jesus said in John chapter 3, verses 3 and 5. And then there's a second thing. We need to be steadfast in Christ. If we're going to go to heaven, if one day we're going to be with the Lord forevermore, then we've got to live a steadfast, immovable life in Christ Jesus. Let me just say this. That means we're steadfast in our ways. Paul would say in Titus chapter 2 that the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation to every man, instructing us to the intent that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. We can't live like the devil and expect to go to heaven. We've got to live a godly life in Christ. And then we've got to be faithful in our worship. Jesus said God is spirit. They that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Those of us who plan to go to heaven, we need to be regular in our worship and we need to make sure that we worship according to God's divinely appointed way. Everything that we do in our worship to God is according to his authority, to his word, according to Colossians chapter 3 at verse 17. And then we have to be steadfast in our work. The Bible says that we have been created in Christ Jesus unto good works. Paul would say in that same verse in Ephesians chapter 2 that we are his workmanship. And the idea is that we are God's masterpiece. And as a masterpiece of Almighty God, we have been created to bring honor and glory to him. We are to be servants of the Lord. We are to be zealous of good works. We are to do those things that he would have us to do so that he might be glorified. Now, I want to close by sharing with you a letter that I think helps to put into perspective the lesson. The story is told of a preacher in California who had announced that he was going to be preaching on heaven the following Sunday. That same week, he received a letter from one of the members. And here is the letter. Let me just read it for you. Next Sunday, you're going to talk about heaven. I'm interested in that land because I have held a clear title to, to a bit of property there for over 50 years. I did not buy it. It was given to me without price. But the donor purchased it for me at a tremendous sacrifice. I'm not holding it for speculation. It is not a vacant lot. For more than half a century, I have been sending up materials to the great architect of the universe who has been building a home for me, which will never need remodeling or repairing because it will fit me perfectly. It will never grow old. Termites cannot undermine its foundations, for it rests upon the rock of ages. Fire cannot destroy it. Floods cannot wash it away. No locks or bolts will ever be placed on the doors. For no robber or thief can enter my dwelling place, now almost completed and ready for me to enter. I will live there eternally without fear of being rejected. There is a valley of deep shadow between the place where I now live and that place to which I'm going. 
I cannot reach my home in that city without passing through this valley. But I'm not afraid because the best friend I've ever had went through that valley long, long ago and drove away all the dread and gloom. He has stuck with me through thick and thin since I became acquainted with him over 50 years ago. I hope to hear your, your sermon Sunday, but I have no assurance that I will. My ticket to heaven has no date marked for my journey, no return coupon, and no permit for baggage. Yes, I'm ready to go. If I don't see you Sunday, I'll meet you someday. That letter ought to express our sentiments. I hope you're ready for heaven. I hope that you're living in such a way so that one day the Lord will say to you, well done, good and faithful servant. If you're not a Christian, I want to encourage you to come to Christ today. Come to him before it's too late. Obey the gospel today. Do what they did on Pentecost Day. Repent and be baptized into Christ. If you're unfaithful, could I encourage you to come home? Could I encourage you to come back to a loving God who wants you to be saved? Please listen very carefully. If you miss heaven, you'll miss the greatest, you'll miss the greatest place. And God doesn't want you to miss that great place. God wants you there. And here's, here's the reality of it all. If you miss heaven, it'll be on you. You see, God's choice is that you live with him in heaven. So the decision, it's in your court. Would you come as we stand and sing?